You're listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio, the podcast that endeavors to inform listeners of the many health benefits of cannabis. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Allen. Today we're going to talk to a man who probably knows more about cannabis than most people, and certainly more than any politician or law enforcement officer. His name is Dr. Bob Melamede. He has a PhD in molecular biology and is recognized as a leading authority on the therapeutic uses of cannabis. He joins us from Vermont in the United States. Bob, great to have you on today. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. I always enjoy talking about it because I'm always trying to find out more about it myself. (laughs) Bob, when did you first get interested in the study of cannabis? When I first started using it, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because it makes you introspective, so... By making you introspective, it allows for self-improvement and self-understanding, and I needed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, how has the scientific knowledge of the benefits of cannabis changed since you first got interested? Well, there's two ways of looking at that. On the one hand, there's the, there's the conventional scientific way that has provided an incredible amount of information and then on the other hand there's what people do with that information and what i've done is i've basically as far as i'm concerned uh assembled all of the cannabis related information into a bigger picture having to do with what is life and once you understand what life is then you can begin to understand what health and disease is And once you understand how life comes about and evolves, then you can understand the special role that the endocannabinoid system has played in the evolution of human life, and therefore then really understand the opportunities that the plant provides you. Bob, what do you say to people, uh, particularly those in the medical community and law enforcement, that there needs to be more study into cannabis before it's legalized? Well, it's, it's nonsense because, first of all, and most important of all, you know, people have developed medicines and used plants for medicines for thousands of years, and they did it all without the FDA approval. They did it because they found something that worked. They shared it with their community, their families, their friends, and they developed a knowledge base as to what was good. And with that, cannabis has been used for literally thousands of years. So how is it conceivable that something that has its foundations in man's experience and history to that degree would somehow be made illegal and require some kind of governmental oversight to use what, from my perspective, in modern man, is truly an essential nutrient. 
What's interesting is that one only has to look for studies to find them because they're, they are plentiful in the medical literature, but conventional medicine doesn't seem to pay any attention to them. And my feeling is it's because of the pharmaceutical interests. Uh, they are the special interest group, and uh, they don't want the public to know the medical benefits of cannabis because if they did – then its legalization would negatively impact Big Pharma's profits. Your comments? Well, there's, there's truth to that, but more fundamental, I think, is that most of the doctors just don't know. And furthermore, in line with what you said, they don't really want to know because they've been educated within a box Mm-hmm. That is their worldview, and that box has been painted by the big farmer industry. They believe that they know what there is to know. They believe that these FDA clinical trials are meaningful, and they don't believe that they don't believe the words of their own patients. I mean, that's the insanity, you know. When you go and you show them something, and they can't understand it, and they rule it out. I, I don't bother to talk with doctors for the most part anymore, nor my fellow scientists, because what I've seen is that box that they've been educated in, that they live within, and that they survive within, to disrupt that disrupts their very understanding of the world around them, and they're not ready to do it. Bob, could I get you to explain to our listeners um, what the endocannabinoid system is and its role in um, human beings, please? Yeah, let me, and again, I'm going to give you a a very biased uh, presentation based on my understanding of how I interpret that other work, all the rest of the work. The work is great. It's what gives me the feed, all right, to to do that. So it turns out that I have to back up and stay away from the endocannabinoid system just for a brief moment. In order to understand the endocannabinoid system, you have to understand what life is. And what we really are are chemical probes. Each individual human being and each individual organism on this planet is a chemical probe in this big chemistry set that we're a part of called the Earth and the biosphere. And what those probes are doing is they're constantly trying to adapt to the change that's constantly happening as time unfolds. And it turns out that as that there's a natural evolution towards increasing complexity, as long as doing that basically generates more disorder in the universe. So the planet is kind of driven to getting smarter by the sunlight that lands on it and by the heat within the core and the variations in chemistry that result. And as a consequence of a, a branch of physics known as far from equilibrium thermodynamics, which was totally created by a brilliant, brilliant man, uh, Ilya Prigogine, for, and he got the Nobel Prize for it, what he basically shows is that flowing energy organizes matter. And flowing energy organized matter before there was life, so that you had what's called flow-dependent structures, organized entities in liquids. And these, in turn, reached a level of complexity that allowed life to naturally emerge as what we call a far-from-equilibrium phase change. 
And then that in turn kept changing the environment. You know, the, the first microbes that lived, photosynthetic microbes and chemosynthetic microbes, they made oxygen. And before that, there was virtually no oxygen. And at the same time that they made oxygen, they were dying. And what were they? They are hydrocarbons, just like, you know, oil and gas. We can be burned for fuel. For fuel. Mm-hmm. So now they created the fuel and they created the oxygen. And that led to a newer level of evolution, which are what we call prokaryotes, the cells that compose us, cells that have a true nucleus and have other characteristics that distinguish them from bacteria, prokaryotes. And... Uh, as complexity kept evolving, cells became multicellular and they developed within that vein from simple sponges to more complex invertebrates, insects, lobsters, etc. Okay? okay, they were only able to achieve a certain level of adaptability. And that's what, elect- what, what evolution selects for is adaptability, change. And what our nervous system does is it interfaces with the outside and allows us to process all information that comes in in the form of our senses as opposed to the immune system which monitors all mass that comes into us so there were primitive forms of these things in the invertebrates but with the emergence of the vertebrates for the first time in evolutionary history you now had the cb1 receptor appear cannabinoid receptor that gets you high and what does it do it it modifies calcium channels and other channels as well but in particular calcium channels and calcium plays a unique role in biology because it's involved in activating things and this probably comes from going back to what i was saying earlier prebiotic times where we had these geological influences creating these flow dependent chemical structures in order to have a flow-dependent structure, you always have to have a source and a sink. That's the flow from somewhere into somewhere else. Bob, can I just calcium, interrupt you? Can I just interrupt you for a second here? You mentioned that uh, it's a calcium, sure. it's a calcium um, conduit. Really, is that correct? CB one. It modifies, it regulates calcium channels for calcium to get in and out of cells. So now, what we have, we have pharmaceutical drugs that are calcium channel blockers which would, uh, I assume, would negatively impact the CB1 receptor. Well, CB, cannabinoid. Yeah. And there's always both things happening everywhere. Everything, no matter where you look, Mm -hmm. is in a balance with its opposite. Okay. So calcium comes in and calcium goes out. And what's critical is when is it coming in, why is it coming in, and what is it doing? And why is it going out, and what is that doing? Mm-hmm. And what I'm trying to explain mm-hmm. is that there's a evolutionary foundation to this very central role that calcium plays in all life. And what I'm suggesting is it had to do with the flow of calcium becoming insoluble or soluble as a function, for example, at pH of the ocean. And, you know, whether the cliffs of Dover are melting back into solution or crystallizing back into calcium carbonate or seashells or see, calcium is involved in activating everything biologically. It activates when your insulin produces, uh, when your pancreas produces insulin, it's calcium activation involved. Mm-hmm. When your antibody cells are producing antibodies, 
same story. When your muscles contract, same stories. When your when your nerves conduct. So the key point that I'm trying to go now is that, as I stated, energy flow is what organizes matter. And energy flow is required to maintain this higher complexity of matter as life keeps evolving. <laughs> and in our brains, that level of complexity is what created humanity, essentially. But if you look from the earliest vertebrates on up to modern man, what you see are biological changes in the brain that reflect the enhanced ability of the brain. And going along with that, you always find that there's more and more cannabinoid receptors in the more evolutionarily advanced areas of, of our brain. And in fact, today, our endocannabinoid system is the most abundant neurotransmitter system in our brain indicating something rather important. <laughs> you think? So what I want to explain is why that's happened and, and the significance of that, because if you understand that, then you'll be able to understand other related issues like cancer and heart disease and diabetes, etc. because of the fundamental balancing act that occurs between using carbohydrates as fuel in a very efficient fashion versus using fats as fuel in an inefficient fashion, but one that promotes for regeneration by, on the one hand, recycling damaged biological pieces, be they fats, proteins, carbohydrates, nucleic acids, the damaged ones, damaged in particular by free radicals, get recycled. And that repurifies the cell. It moves it further from equilibrium, to use the jargon of far from equilibrium thermodynamics. Distance from equilibrium is health. Return to equilibrium is death. And aging and death being the, the phase change. So where I'm trying to go with this now is that once we had eukaryotic cells, they evolved to invertebrates. The invertebrates then needed a greater level of flexibility because of the complexity of the environment that had evolved. And that led to a new order, a new organization, the vertebrates. And what the vertebrates have are unique capabilities, in particular with the nervous system. And as the nervous system evolved, we find more and more cannabinoid activity. And what it did was it allowed for everything else to become more complex, which is why eventually we evolved the CB2 receptors for a more formal regulation of the immune system. And in fact, really the regenerative cap capacity that's implemented when cells are in the fat burning mode, because that's when stem cells divide. And stem cells replenish your dying cells, just the way our molecules are recycled with what's called autophagy, which is basically recycling of damaged goods labeled by free radical changes. If that reaches a critical level, that same process disorganizes the flow within the cell to the point that it can't support itself anymore, under which conditions it kind of de-evolves from life, and that's what apoptosis is, or in a more extreme insult, necrosis, where basically the cell just kind of blows up and leaks everything out. With, with apoptosis, it, it kind of shrivels back into little balls that can then be eaten by immune cells, phagocytic cells, and then if, depending on what problems 
occurred that can help the immune system better understand how to help you the next time. But there's this complex evolutionary process of complexity always occurring. And the only reason that the human brain was able to evolve, from my perspective, this is not the generally accepted view, was because of this underlying energy flow and how you feel your head. It's always hot. Your neck is always hot. Mm -hmm. And it's hot despite the fact that you're making energy very efficiently using the electron transport system and fueling it mostly with glucose. Bob, why and do why do we never why why do we never hear the medical profession talking about the cannabinoid uh, uh, endocannabinoid system in our bodies? Because they haven't been educated about it, and at this point, because of their closed minded nature, I, what I do is I rather educate the people. The people, yeah. what I'm saying is not too complex to understand, and yet I can't have an intelligent conversation with doctors regarding this. One moron scientist, we were having this nice conversation. I hadn't brought up cannabis at all, you know. Yeah. I was just talking about physics and evolution. And uh, uh, once I brought up cannabis, which is a logical extension of all of that based on what I'm telling you, he told me to leave his office. <laughs> Why <laughs> he didn't like you anymore. You know? <laughs> and I, it was unbelievable. It was like a light switch turned. I said, oh, my God, this is really an indication yet again you know, I, I bang my head against the wall, so to speak, on so many occasions trying to communicate with doctors and scientists about what I'm saying. And, hey, if I'm wrong, have a conversation and show me that I'm wrong. Don't not have a conversation and assume I'm wrong and you're right when you don't know what I'm talking about. And you've never heard it, and you never will because your mind is too closed. Well, it's it's interesting you, you mentioned that because we talked uh, the other day to Sierra Riddle, who I think you're familiar with. And, of course. Yeah, and uh, the, the problem she was having with uh, her child and uh, the closed-minded viewpoint of the medical profession to the use of cannabis is just astounding. And we've talked to a number of mothers and a number of parents who have taken their kids off of um, chemotherapy drugs or limited the access to chemotherapy drugs, put them on cannabis, cannabis oil, and the child just starts to thrive. Yet the medical profession, in its close-mindedness, absolutely refuses to accept that. And it just, to me, it is quite astounding. Well, you know what? Look, re realistically, if your car breaks, are you going to bring it to a mechanic who knows how cars work? Or are you going to bring it to a mechanic who doesn't know how cars work? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? yep. There's a real simple, obvious answer to that question. And yet you will not find any doctor who knows how life works. And I'm trying to explain to them how life works because you think that they might generate some interest, you know, but they don't care because they understand that they can manipulate a particular pathway because they have this pharmaceutical that manipulates that pathway, and that pathway is involved in a particular illness. But what they're excluding from their consciousness is the flow-dependent nature of organization and life and the need to have a holistic dynamic, which again takes us back to the fat-sugar-burning story. Mm -hmm. Because your brain could never have gotten as complicated as it is without the cannabinoid receptor fine-tuning activation via calcium transport that in turn regulates free radical production 
and the survivability of those cells. Furthermore, the CB2 receptor is involved in turning on fat burning and the dialogue between the CB1 and the CB2, you, when, you're, when the nervous progenitors are in a fat burning mode, they expand because your, your stem cells are naturally fat burners because otherwise they would age, that you don't want them to age. So you put them in a recycling mode where they're not doing a lot and they're hanging out, not creating trouble for themselves. And then you want them to expand when you need to replace other cells, but you want them to, on the one hand, expand, but then to differentiate and turn into what you need them to be. So the CB2 and fat burning allows them to expand, and then the CB1 allows them to differentiate and become what they can become which is the same, ironically, not only on the level of subcellular, but on the level of humanity and our society. We can become what we can become only because we have enough cannabinoid receptors allowing our brain to make enough energy to have all the information flow happening. And we've now gotten smart enough to understand the insanity that I'm telling you. And what that tells me is consume more cannabis to be more like future man experience the future now because we're smart enough to understand what's happening and we can do it now and experience what it's going to be like and what that does is it makes a population of people who are into cooperation and in in open-mindedness and Mm -hmm. figuring out how we can make things work better rather than the greed fear dominated insanity that characterizes not only the medical pharmaceutical box but the social box that we live in. Bob, talk a bit about uh, THC, which most listeners, I believe, are aware is the active ingredient in cannabis that causes one to get high. Talk about its role in the body. Well, that's what I've actually been telling you. <laughs> oh, the both. So because- <laughs> the cannabinoid system encompasses both CBD and THC. All... Yes. The okay. cannabinoid system is like a web within our biochemistry. Think of it in terms of, well, think of our biochemistry in the following. Think of it as like a big complicated street map. And you're on one side of the city and you've got to get to the other side. And you've got the energy to do it because you're burning sugar. So you can, your car is ready to roll, okay? Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. if you want to get there quick, you take the highway. But if there's a car accident, you take a side road. And if there's a massive mess everywhere, then you take the cider side roads, you know? Yeah. But what we do as people is we will explore solutions to accomplish our end. That's what's adaptability. That's what we're selected for, okay? Mm-hmm. And what your CB1 receptor does is it promotes that kind of an attitude because it regulates stress. And stress from a, starts out with chemistry in a subcellular level. Because stress is change, and any change in our body has to be sensed by cells and then communicated through the hierarchy of complexity to create an action. You know, like, uh, my finger is on fire, I better pull it away. You know, I mean, your reflexes will do it first and your brain will do it later. But the point is, it started out on a subcellular level. There was information transfer you know, through your nervous system, as well as, of course, the damaged cells, um, 
I forgot where I was going with all of this. <laughs> it sounded really good anyway, Bob. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bob, can you, um, <laughs> could you address just, just in, you know, um, layman's language, um, why cannabis is so successful in killing cancer, just in quotations, how it works? Yes, it comes exactly back to the things I'm telling you. That's Perfect. Why the central theme is so important to understand. Because it is the explanation of life, and cancer is a natural part of life. So what we want to do is make it a less common natural part of life, and we mm-hmm. want to learn how we can remanipulate the biochemical flow for which a cancer was a solution into a solution where cancer is not part of the organism and therefore restoration of health. So, it goes back again to this whole energy story. Most cancers form as sugar-burning cancers. And our diet today is so different from what we evolved in. And on the one hand, it's been great because it's given us the energy to keep expanding our mind by doing the things that we do and create the civilization that we've created. On the other hand, it's right now all out of balance. The same way as the cell gets out of balance, our society is making too much waste. We're not doing the right thing to create ongoing health. And that's what happens within ourselves as they, as they accumulate too much damage and go basically down the wrong roadways. <laughs> so what happens is... One, in order for a cell to survive, it's got to continuously deal with the free radicals that are produced by change. All change is chemical at nature in the basis of it, and that will echo through the complexity until we're aware of it. But it still, along the way, generates free radicals because it's change. And from my perspective, all everything in the body is ultimately controlled by the free radicals, which are basically the kind of bioelectricity that's monitored throughout the body to maintain everything together working in some kind of harmony. Hmm. And that's what, again, our cannabinoid receptor allows, both in the fat-burning mode and the sugar-burning mode. The sugar-burning mode is dangerous because we make free radicals. One single free radical molecule, one teeny tiny little molecule could literally kill you if it hit the wrong base in your DNA in the wrong cell, wasn't repaired by your DNA repair systems and amplified up and your immune system couldn't deal with it and the chemotherapy didn't deal with it, that one molecule, that one molecular interaction could kill you. Now listen to this. You've got something like 15 trillion cells in your body and every day, every one of those cells receives 20,000 of those damages where one could kill you. Mm. (laughs) So what I'm saying is that all of our biochemical complexity is ultimately designed to allow us to adapt to change in a way that allows us to continue to be. Otherwise, those free radicals would get us. We could never evolve the complexity. And that's what the main function of the endocannabinoid system is. So most cancers start out as sugar burners. And if you haven't been treated with chemo and if you haven't been treated with radiation and you take cannabis 
as well as I would think certain specific supplements that force fat burning. High doses of cannabis is going to operate via the CB2 receptor throughout your body, and it's going to turn on fat burning. And the cancer cells that have evolved kind of which streets they're using and are really flowing their energy down those streets, if all of a sudden you turn off their energy flow and you turn on a whole new way, then you're not even on the streets anymore. Now you're in the subway or on an airplane. You know, so the, the streets get completely screwed up, and that's what induces cell death, because they're not equipped. It's like putting diesel fuel in a, in a gasoline car. If you don't have the machinery, you can't burn the fuel. And these cancer cells that have, like, built this whole complex web of survival by manipulating their metabolic pathways so they don't kill themselves with free radicals, all of a sudden now you take away their whole world. It's like, you know, it's like it's like an open minded physician, you know, when he realizes, oh, my God, <laughs> my whole world just collapsed. Well, that's what happens within the cells. Their whole world collapses and ideally they die. So cannabis promotes that shift to fat burning among everything else. Because remember, your endocannabinoid system regulates everything in your body from conception until death. So your immune system, digestive system, cardiovascular system, bones, skin, everything is homeostatically regulated by cannabinoids because they are the central regulators of free radical production and response which is necessary for survival and for complexity. Bob, you know there are no known deaths from consuming too much cannabis, but uh, in North America, according to the American Society of Addictive Medicine in 2012, 259 million prescriptions were written for opioids, which is more than enough to give every American adult their own bottle of pills. And here in Canada, in the province of Ontario, deaths from um, opioid-related deaths went up 242%. Yet those are prescribed freely. What's the most THC a person has consumed that you're aware of? I have a friend with HIV who's been controlling his HIV for five or six years now, only with cannabis. And he's gotten rid of his Carposi sarcoma on numerous occasions because that's kind of a leading indicator when his immune system and his metabolism is not correct. Mm-hmm. Like when he goes to a foreign country and he can't bring his oil with him. He does at least an oil, a gram a day of oil. But when he came back from the HIV conference in South Africa and he didn't have any oil for two weeks and he had Carposi all over him, uh, this man on two different occasions has done this where he's taken approximately... 50 grams of really high-quality oil. So, you know, I estimate he's taken probably at least 30 <laughs> to 35 grams of THC at one time. And how was he? <laughs> what was he like, Bob? Well, when he comes back, when he comes back to the planet a few days later, his, his Kaposis are gone, and he's healthy again. There you go. <laughs> Easy breezy. <laughs> Bob, what? Yeah, well, I think that a mode. I think what might turn out to be a very interesting mode of helping people is to basically put them in cannabis comas for like five days, and then bring them, <laughs> you know, bring them back, wake them up, and uh, you know, they're gone. Their illnesses are gone. There you go. You're ready to go. <laughs> Bob, do you think in your lifetime uh, cannabis will ever be legalized in the United States? 
absolutely without any question in the United States and all around the world. What has happened is the idiots have shot themselves in the foot, actually in the head, but they're too stupid to even know it. Because they can't tell the difference between your foot and their head because nothing's going on in either place. <laughs> <laughs> what has happened is the following. The, the cannabis awakening is spreading around the world. People understand the health benefits. And, you know, many of them are learning my perspective as to why. And what's going on is the people, what I call the blips and the flips, all right? As I said, evolution keeps selecting for more cannabinoid activity. And the people who are running the world today, I believe, are the people who don't have enough cannabinoid activity. They're what I call the blips, backward-looking people, because they don't make enough cannabis to embrace the change of the future. What they try to do is look backwards and recreate the past, because then they don't have change, and then they're comfortable. So they're, they're, these are the control freaks that want to control everything. And it's ironic and natural that cannabis would be the prime target because cannabis is that which opens you. you know. And here the people who are closed are too closed to be open, which is why they don't use cannabis. Which is, you know, who's going to become a cop, for example, if you know you're going to be urine tested? Mm-hmm. Cannabinoid deficient people who don't use cannabis, who are naturally more aggressive, you know, and, and uptight about things. So there's, our whole society is structured around promoting cannabinoid ignorance and deficiency. And the pathetic irony is that if you do that, what you do is you create narrow-minded, uptight people, and they live less long because they're, the stress levels and the tension levels are all driven by the sugar that they're consuming in excessive quantities. And uh, that's what's giving the heart disease, the diabetes, the cancer, the atherosclerosis. All of these things are inhibited by cannabis, which inhibits all age-related illnesses because you know what? It's not a drug. It's an essential nutrient. We should all be consuming it every day. Bob, it was a pleasure to talk to you. I, I appreciate this very much. Thank you. My pleasure. <laughs> Corey Bob is an interesting guy. Uh, he's a great, uh, great researcher. And uh, but his story about fifty grams of marijuana at one time THC—I mean, that is just mind blowing, isn't it? Fifty grams of oil, no of less. Oil. Not just dried cannabis of oil. Yeah. Yes. And you were struggling when when you had cancer to take a gram a day. Yes. In fact, I didn't get up to a gram a day. I, if I'm generous. I got up to three quarters of a gram a day. Yeah, your mistake is you should have taken 50. <laughs> right. <laughs> Says the man who took a grain and a half and regretted it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Cannabis Health Radio is a listener-supported radio. To succeed in our mission to help people throughout the world, we rely on you, our listeners. If you would like to visit us and assist us in our mission, please go to our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com and make a donation. And we thank you in advance for doing that. Yes, we thank those people who have uh, donated so far. We greatly appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow with another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.
for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like, their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.